the Atlantic Ocean. Not quite. Um, little off course, but they were in a blizzard, right? And what I think is incredible, what I think is incredible, is there's a blizzard. And in this book, it talked about all that was going on in the town of Lincoln that night. There was like a school play that was happening. There was like some school social for someone that won something and they were doing some big school social. There was a basketball game at a different building, right? There was like a civil air patrol meeting. There was all these different meetings that were happening. And guess what? It was during a blizzard. Nothing was canceled, right? Nothing was canceled. It was so incredible. The story, if you haven't read it, I, I found the book after a thrift shop. It was a tiny little book. Essentially, buildings shook, and a couple people were like, that wasn't correct. I don't know what just happened, but that wasn't supposed to happen. Maybe it was an earthquake. And a couple people walked out just to hear another, see another one of those bombs go off. Because it was a bomber that was actually carrying bombs, because it was supposed to be doing an emission out over the out and over New Jersey, out over the Atlantic, up through Newfoundland, and that I guess there were some German submarines that were liking to take out some of our supply ships that were going out to our folks uh, overseas. Some supply ships coming from America, and these German submarines like to take them down to sink our supplies. And so this bomber was doing this thing. And what's interesting is the folks that were flying the bomber were uh, kind of a, a hodgepodge crew because they've been going after Pearl Harbor. We've been going. And so they had not normally flown that plane. That was not a normal plane that they fly, and they were just thrown in. And he was bringing it down in altitude because he was icing. The whole plane was icing up during this storm. And he thought, I've got to get lower where the temperatures are warmer. And he thought, I'm over the Atlantic, so that's okay. 3,800 feet over the Atlantic is not a big deal. But Mount Musilak is higher than 3,800 feet. It's 4,000-something or other. And he ran right into the side of it. And what's incredible, what I love about our locals, is how resilient they are. They saw it. Then they heard through Sherm Adams' office that it was, in fact, a bomber. That it was one of our bombers. Because at first, people were freaking out, like, oh, my goodness, the Japanese has hit our soil. They're starting to bomb us. But it wasn't. It was, a, it was an accident. And once they figured that out, our locals beat the state police, which is good they did, because state police got there and shut the road down and wouldn't let Peekable go up until the army came. But a bunch of locals beat the state police there and just started hoofing it into the dark, into the snow, into the woods. And they got up there and they just started yelling, hello, hello, hello. And these three airmen who survived, which is crazy, were walking down. They found them, started getting them together. Then they walked up actually to the crash site where they found two more survivors. After this explosion... A crash and a bomb explosion. If you survive that, you're stinking awesome, right? <laughs> right? One of the dudes God totally wanted to be alive. I'd love to hear what happened to his life after this because, one, you survived a plane crash. Then the bombs that were in the plane went off, and you're still alive. Well, one of the guys was actually not supposed to be on that plane. He was supposed to be on a plane that was headed to California, and the plane that went to California he was supposed to be on actually crashed in New Mexico and burned no survivors in that plane. And he wasn't on that plane. He was on this plane that crashed with bombs that went off. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> this guy's awesome. <laughs> you know? And I have no idea what that has anything to do with my sermon, but it was an awesome story <laughs> that I read yesterday of the resiliency of our locals, and I think it's great during a snowstorm. So all that to say, thanks for being at church, even though there's a snowflake. Amen, Cookie. What's the name of that book? I have no idea. <laughs> it's on my coffee table if you want to come over. It's a quick read. Yeah, yeah Sharon will tell you. All right. Wait, Edda, you were there? <laughs> Were you at the school social? Anna <laughs> <laughs> carried the pile of over her shoulder. 
Lincoln to the Lincoln Hospital where she knocked on the door. Wow. Edda, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but, but were you in grade school? Or were you even born? What, how old were you? <laughs> She's not answering me. She wasn't born. She's only read about this story. She was not there. That's awesome. Good to have you, Edda. All right. So... I told you that I was going to preach about the Patriots. I've saved up this. And actually, I'm not diverting off of where we are. So we're going through a series of Romans, and we are now in Romans chapter 8. And like I've told you, if you've been here before, Romans chapter 8 is arguably the greatest chapter in Scripture. Now, someone would say, no, 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 the crucifixion is. Here's what I love about, someone said the other day about Christ's death. Because I'm a good old evangelical, so are many of you, and we talk about Christ's death, which praise the Lord, he did give his life. But what I think is awesome, Christ just didn't give his death. He gave his life. He lived, right? He lived the life that we couldn't, and he died the death that we should. So if Christ just would have showed up a day before his crucifixion, because if I was Jesus and God told me this was how it had to happen, I'd be like, okay. I've heard of this thing called headaches. I don't, I don't know if I really want to try one. I've heard of abdominal cramps. I, I've heard of, you know, pain. I've heard of all of this stuff that we deal as humans. And if I was Jesus, I'm like, can we just skip that? I know I have to save the world by dying on a cross. I get it. Can I just show up three days before the crucifixion and then die? No, he had to live a perfect life. That's the thing. For the death penalty to work... For our sin, Christ had to live a life that we couldn't. And that's perfection. And if you don't think, we've talked about this before, if you, don't, if you think that you're actually a pretty good human, I'm like, nah, I'm a pretty good human, get a roommate. They'll let you know. If you still think you're a pretty good human after having a roommate, get married. <laughs> if they don't let you know, their mom will. <laughs> right? Still don't think you're a perfect human? Have a child. Have a child, and you will realize you are not a perfect human. We all, me, you, Mother Teresa, everybody in between, have fallen short of the glory of God. Talking about Mother Teresa, man, I love her story. If you have not read books about her, or if you have not seen the movie called Letters, you have to. Mother Teresa hit the floor every night with great doubts of who God is. And did he love the people that she was seeing suffer? Is he real? And if he's real, why are these people suffering? So if you're someone who is struggling with doubt, and you think that you're no good to the kingdom of God because doubt is in your life, renounce that lie. And say, you know what? Mother Teresa did so much for the kingdom of God while she was on the floor bawling her eyes out because she doubted God's love. Because she'd go out, and she'd be with the lowest of the low, and she knew she could do nothing to save this person. She couldn't. She would meet a child on the street, and there was nothing Mother Teresa could do. No vaccination, no medicine, no amount of medical help that she could give this child was going to change its fate whatsoever. It was dying, and it was going to die. Imagine being in that situation. Imagine being Mother Teresa, and you're there to save lives, and you just look at this child on the street, and you just can't. You look at their big old eyes, and you cannot. This kid is going to die, and it might be minutes, it could be hours, it could be tomorrow, but you know. And when Mother Teresa tried to save their physical life, she got very depressed. And when it switched to Mother Teresa's, when she understood that there was something beyond the physical life. And what I think is beautiful is this one line in this movie. 
Because this person came up to Mother Teresa and she was bringing these people into this place and she was getting a nice bed for them and laying them down. And this one person pulled her aside and she said, what are you doing? Every single one of these people are dying and you can't save them. Why are you taking the time to drag them off the street, to clean them up, to shave them, and put them in a bed? What are you doing? They're just going to die. And Mother Teresa says, it's not my job to save their life. It's my job to help them die in dignity. Do you see that radical change? Wow. Man, if you haven't gotten into the life of Mother Teresa, you should. Because when she got that, when the Holy Spirit led her to that, it became her mission to help people die in dignity. And that is, that's a calling I'm not sure I could respond to. If that was my calling. I feel like odd, you know. But when she changed the paradigm, she changed this idea. That every life is precious, and every life is valuable, and every life deserves to die in dignity. And that is an incredible, incredible story. So if you haven't seen it, it's called Letters. So Romans chapter 8 is arguably one of the greatest chapters. And why? Is it helps us understand why Christ came, why he lived perfectly, why he died, why he rose again, and what does that mean for me today in 2017? What does it mean today as we prepare for this thing called the Super Bowl? What a first world problem to have, right? Like, how much guacamole will we have tonight? And who made the clam dip? And oh my goodness, you forgot the drinks. Or you, you, you know, they're too cold or they're too hot. You know, sometimes we kind of get it. I, I can be like, what? You know? But in Romans chapter 8, it helps us understand. And what we're going to look at today is the bottom of this Probably Romans chapter 8 is one of the most famous chapters in Scripture. And today I'm going to look at a verse in Romans chapter 8 that's probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, maybe apart from John 3.16. It's Romans 8.28. For all things work together for good, for them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Okay? We're going to look at that verse. Now today is Super Bowl Sunday. Millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people will be tuning in to watch two teams battle it out. We as Patriots fans, we are pretty fortunate. We have watched football for our team in the month of February pretty much more than almost any other football team that's ever played football, which is pretty incredible, right? Which is pretty incredible. And I just think it's fitting that the Eagles, so those that know Drew, Drew's from Philly, he is our associate pastor, not with us this morning, he is a big Eagles fan, right? And I don't know if you've noticed, but I'll give props to the Eagles, I've noticed on Facebook, and I've noticed while I'm reading all of these pre-Super Bowl articles, that there are a lot of Christ followers on the Eagles. If you watch Facebook, it is all over Facebook. Right, the backup quarterback, Nick Foles, he was in the interview and they said, you know, what do you think about football? What do you think about your longevity in football? What are you going to do when Carson Wentz comes back and whatever? And Nick Foles says, well, I've been praying about going to seminary and becoming a pastor. It's like, oh boy, you know? <laughs> so I saw that and I forwarded it to Drew and I said, well, I hope he's got a bunch of sermons ready because when he loses on Sunday, he'll have to, he'll have to be in a pulpit next Sunday. <laughs> That's what I said. Good luck being a pastor, pal. Um, <laughs> That's not very nice, is it? <laughs> you know, their tight end, their tight end was talking the other day, and he said, you know, I think the greatest 
thing someone can do in life is to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's what he said on, he's like, that's what I think. Because they asked him, does it feel great to be here? What do you think the greatest thing is that you'll do? And his response was, well, I think the greatest thing someone can do in life is make a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's a guy who understands the Great Commission. You know, Matthew 28, he gets it. So, props to the Eagles. Props to the Eagles. I actually got a text message from uh, Drew's father last night. <laughs> and here's what Drew's father said to me, and you can understand now where Drew gets his sense of humor. This is the text I get from Drew's father. He goes, Drew's dad here, I want to encourage you to get up extra early tomorrow and enjoy as much of this day as you can because I am confident that the ending of the day will not be something that you enjoy. <laughs> Now I'm going to do, and Myra's ply has a few movie references and then we'll see if any of you get it. I said, ah, oh, you're sweating bullets, I see. I would be too if I had to face the greatest of all time. I've seen this movie before and that punk street kid from Philly wins. But we ain't Russian and we don't run our mouth like Apollo. We are the kid with the coach. So look out, Philly. Tommy Boy's coming to town. Yeah, that was Rocky 2, Rocky 3, and Rocky 4 right there. Yeah! That was awesome. Yeah! Oh, man. I remember when I visited Philly first and I ran up the steps, you know? You hear the music in my head. If you've ever been to Philly, you know, you run up those iconic steps. And at the top, there's actually a statue of Sylvester Stallone, you know, doing his famous punch. He's like this tall. <laughs> Did you know that? Like, he's literally like this big, you know? And I was like, because I got to the top, I'm like, Man, that's kind of mean to make a miniature statue of such a boxer, right? And the, the tour guy was like, that's his actual size. <laughs> the guy from Russia could just be like... <laughs> so today, millions will tune in to the Patriots and the Eagles. And arguably, the most famous person... If you just went across the world, across the globe, and you could say to anybody from any culture, and if they even could name one person from the NFL, right, if you traveled to Brazil, or you went to China, or you went to places where the NFL is not that famous or popular, and if they could name one person from the NFL, who do you think it'd be? It's it just, it, that's, that's, you can't argue that. It's going to be Tom Brady. He's probably one of the most popular football players of all time. Now, how many of you would say that you're pretty avid Patriots fans? Pretty avid Patriots fans. Okay. Now, how many of you could name one offensive lineman? Can anyone throw an offensive lineman's name out? Crickets? Nate Solder. Right there, Nate Solder, yes. Number 77 plays left tackle from Denver, Colorado. But six foot eight, three hundred and twenty-five pounds. <laughs> That's a big boy. Another one? He, you know what? Sometimes they motion him up on the line. I'll give you that. Yes, Cookie. Yeah. Yes. He's, a, he's a tight end, but sometimes they motion him up into a run formation, Gronkowski. He also is six, he's not six eight. I think he's six seven. And he's not three twenty-five. He this is kind of not really be that good for me, but he weighs about 15 pounds less than I do. Isn't that crazy? I weigh more than Gronkowski. Yes! 
Julian Edelman has never played offensive line, but that's okay. He's a wide receiver. It's all right. Because Julian Edelman is actually 5'10 and about 205 pounds, I think they say. I, he's a right over 200 pounds. I think maybe that's with his gear on. Um, he's like 195 without it. There's a guy named Shaq Mason. There's another guy named Andrews, and then I can't tell you the rest of them. And I'm an avid fan. I can't. I, I cheated and, and looked up the other two this morning, right? I was mixing them up with people from before, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the right tackle, right? I couldn't tell you the center. I think his last name was Andrews. But anyway, what I'm trying to explain to you is that we know the popular people from the Patriots. Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, those kind of names. But do we know the Nate Solders, the left tackle? Now... If they win tonight, the odds are that Tom Brady is going to get the MVP, right? Pretty much, it's going to go to the quarterback that wins. But what if Nate Solder, okay, who is on the left tackle, in offense you have a center, then you have guards, and then you have tackles. That's the offensive line. And then you'll have a tight end that might play up on the line either side on what they call the power side or the strong side. Okay? You're probably getting more football than you really wanted to know right now. But Nate Solder is the left tackle. He plays right here. If Brady's under center, I know I'm about as good looking as him and I got his jersey on. So if Brady's under center, Nate Solder's right here. Now, Brady might get the MVP if they win today. But what if Nate Solder does not do his job tonight? What happens? Brady gets knocked down. And what happens? The ball never gets out of Brady's arms. And if it does get out of Brady's hands, it might get picked off. It won't get to where he wants to go. And will we win the game? Not even close. If one guy on that offensive line of five people decides not to do his job, like, especially Nate Solder. Now, why is Nate Solder so important, okay? Think about this. Tom Brady is right-handed. When Tom Brady drops back, right, either a three-step drop, a five-step drop, or a seven-step drop, whether he's in the shotgun or under center, what happens? This is called his blind side. Why? Because he's standing like this because he's right-handed. Can he see a lot of times the pressure coming from this side? No. So whose job is very important? Nate Solder's job. Nate Solder's job. Now, why am I talking about this with Romans chapter 8? You're sitting there going, he just wants to talk about the Patriots. No. Yes. yes. <laughs> but I have a point. But I have a point. Like I said, Romans 8.28 is one of the most popular verses in Scripture. But it's also one of the most misunderstood, misquoted, misrepresented passages. Here's what it says, and I know the old King James, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. But that's how it says, and in here it says, uh, this version says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. We can read that, we can say that, but do you know how we usually hear that and how we usually live that? Is this, is, this is how we normally hear it or live it. And we know that everything works out good for them that love God. Do you hear how I said that right there? Very small. We know that everything works out good for them that love God. 
Is that true? Then why are we battling cancer? Is that true? Then why have we lost loved ones? Is that true? Why are we going through financial strife? Is that true? Why is it that our children are rebelling against us? Is that true? Because what happens is our American Christianity says, well, I must love God better. That must be my problem. I've got to dig in deeper. I've got to attend church more. I better listen to Christian radio more. I better vote correctly because I want everything to work out good. I want everything to go good. I want everything to go good. It's not what it says. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. See, this promise right here is actually even better than the one we interpreted as. Because see, we want all things good. And this says all things work together for the good. And here's what it means. It means that when you become a child of the Most High King, by putting your faith, hope, and trust, and love in Jesus Christ, that how Paul would say it, that sword, right, sword. Back then, sword would come and change king's leaderships or whatever. We don't, thankfully, deal with the sword as much. Right? But what does the scripture say is the sword? Tongue. The tongue. Ever been lashed at? Ever been put down? I wouldn't want to do middle school again, I'll tell you that much right now. That's a rough place, ain't it? You hang out there, don't you? Yeah, or high school, you know? But then we like to say that that's a rough place, but then you go into some workplaces. I remember, I remember, right? I graduated high school, went to college for four years, and I wanted to do Christian camping. Christian camping existed in the summertime. And we were first starting out in this Christian camp, and they said, we cannot pay you in the wintertime. So you're going to have to figure out how to you know, make some money. Well, someone said, hey, you ought to go substitute teach at the high school. And I thought, well, all right, sure. So I, my old high school, which is kind of weird, I've only been removed there for four years. So I didn't really quite know a lot of the kids. I knew some of their brothers or sisters or whatever, so that was good. It wasn't like I just came back the year after. That would have been weird, right? But guess what? I knew all the teachers. I knew all the teachers. That was awkward. My first day, I'm substitute teaching for somebody, and lunchtime comes, and I take my little lunch down to the, 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 the teacher lounge, which I avoided after this day forever. Um, I went in the teacher lounge, and I opened up the, the microwave and put it in, and I, and I hit go, and I'm just sitting there, and there's a group of teachers around the uh, table, and here's what I heard. Can you believe, can you believe that he went to the movies with her in this town? Like, he didn't even have, like, the decency to go to Skowhegan. He could have just drove 45 minutes and not been with her in this town. And that's literally the conversation around the table. And I was like, am I in the wrong? I thought I left the cafeteria. I thought the cafeteria was over there. I'm in here, you know. And so we think that the tongue is something that's only just when we're in middle school. But let's be honest, it's something that goes with us, right? And let's be honest, we can't just point the finger because what have I done with my tongue, right? I have said some things, I'm like, no, 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 it came out. It came out. Yeah, I've said some things. Not good. What are we talking about? <laughs> what about the offensive line? The offensive line, thank you. 
<laughs> Paul, in Romans chapter 8, talks... Romans chapter 8 has some huge peaks and some real valleys. Right? One time Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. The other time in Romans chapter 8, Paul says we will face famine, sickness, nakedness, shipwreck, peril, the sword. Right? So he's all over the place in Romans chapter 8. And what I want to explain to you tonight, and today I mean with the Super Bowl, is that all the things in your life will work together for your good. And that is something that takes tremendous faith to believe. Tremendous faith to believe in that. Okay? So tonight, in the Super Bowl, all the things need to work together for the Patriots to win. Even the offensive line. The offensive line, I bet most of us won't be watching. We won't really look for them. We won't talk about Nate Solder tomorrow when we win the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about Tom Brady. I'm hoping that you guys will talk about Nate Solder. Nate Solder is an incredible individual. He is from Colorado. Nate Solder grew up a ski racer. It wasn't until he was in middle school or early high school that football coaches like, dude, you're a large individual. <laughs> Have you ever heard of this thing called football? And some high school coaches got him to play football, and look at now he plays for the greatest team, arguably, that ever played football, which is pretty cool. Nate Solder makes a lot of money. A lot of money. Nate Solder is a very blessed individual. Nate Solder has a three-year-old boy with cancer. In his kidney and in his liver. And they've been fighting it for three years. And they're fighting hard. And he's got a lot of foundations for him. And he's doing a lot of things for him. You know, and his name is Hudson. Nate Solder is a man who does love Jesus. And if you listen to him talk about his son's situation, he says, all things work together for the good, for them that love God, called according to his purpose. It's cool, his wife says the same thing. You know how I know? We have some people that we are ministering to up on the mountain. Right? They come to our church service, good friends of ours. They're Nate's next door neighbor. And they're telling me about the testimony of Nate's wife. And I'm like, wow. So how cool is that? You know how unsung Nate Solder is? I called her up today, or this week, and I said, can you go to the stadium? She lives in Foxborough. The stadium is about a couple blocks away from her house. I said, can you go to the stadium and get me a Nate Solder jersey? She said, no problem, I will. Because I said, I want to wear a Nate Solder jersey when I preach about this. She goes, yeah, I got one. I'll go get one for you. She calls me from the pro shop. This is the actual Patriot pro shop on one Patriot place. She said, they don't have any Nate Solder jerseys, and they don't have any offensive lineman jerseys. Because I said, well, can you give me any offensive lineman? She goes, they don't have any. Guess how many of these they have? An entire wall full. Guess how many Amendola ones they had? An entire wall full. How many Gronk ones? An entire. You want a Gronk one in pink? You want one in purple? You want one in blue? You want one in red? You want one in black? You want one any color you want a Gronk jersey? You can get it. You have to custom order a Nate Solder jersey online. But guess what? 
all things must work together tonight for the Patriots to win the Super Bowl. And in your life, the things in your life that aren't glamorous, offensive linemen aren't glamorous. They're usually around 300 pounds. They sweat a lot. <laughs> there are two common injuries among offensive linemen. One ends your season, potentially ends your career. The other one you play through. One are the knees. Offensive linemen always ruin their knees because they're engaged up top with a defensive lineman like this. And another offensive lineman falls, or a running back falls, or a defensive lineman falls and lands on their knee like this and throws their knee to the turf and it snaps. ACL, MCL, tib fib, something horrible, right? That ends a season, could end a career. Do you know what every single offensive lineman is playing with for an injury? Broken fingers. Broken fingers and broken wrists. And here's why. Because a defensive lineman is taught from day one, as soon as that ball snaps, there's different techniques. And there's a rip technique, boom. there's a swim technique, boom. there's a punch technique, grab, whatever. And what they're doing is they are trying, because an offensive lineman is trying to get to the inner jersey of a defensive lineman. If you can get in here, you can hold them. If you can grab their, 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 their shoulder pads, you can hold them and you can push them back. A, a, a ref will not call hold if you get them here. Now, if you start holding out here, you're going to get a holding call. But if you come in underneath their shoulder pads, and you can keep them right there. So the defensive linemen are taught to hammer down on those, on those hands of their offensive linemen. Absolutely punch them every single play. So every single offensive lineman in there today is playing with a previously broken finger, a currently broken finger, and you will never ever, ever see an offensive lineman on the injury report for a broken finger, broken hand, a broken wrist. They put a hard cast on it and they go. These are the unsung heroes that work in the trenches. They're, you know what they're called? They're called hogs. That's what they call them. They call them sweaty hogs. That's what an offensive lineman is known as. <coughs> and you couldn't even buy one of their shirts down at Patriot Place. Not one. It's crazy. You each have things in your life that are like that. That are big and sweaty and smelly and not fun. Don't look at your husband. <laughs> I mean circumstances. <laughs> I mean circumstances. Circumstances in your life, in my life. You know? Could be like the flu. You know, the flu went through our house, and I thought, wow, we were very fortunate to be in America and have medicine. You know, what do kids do that have the flu that do not have any medicine available to them? But it was scary. I mean, Abishai's temperature hit 104 on Wednesday night, and that makes you go as a parent like, ugh, you know, and she's not super herself. She's just hanging on, you know, her bed, just, you can see it, you know. Put in an ice bath and get motion in her, and it just, it's scary, you know. You're going maybe through some even scarier stuff. You know, our friend Betty is currently fighting to keep her eyesight. And that's hard. You know, that is, this is her daughter. Betty is her daughter. Fighting to keep her eyesight. That, man, we, eyesight is just such a good thing, you know. And we go through these things and we'd rather forget them, right? Think back in your life and you'd rather forget the stuff that's in. Eh. 
But according to Romans 8.28, everything in your life is orchestrated and allowed by God. Now, am I going to get into the question of does he cause that to happen to you or not? I don't know. I can't answer that question. I do believe with all my heart that he is in control. Now, what exactly he allows and doesn't allow, or what he causes or doesn't cause, I'm not sure. I do know that scripture says this. The rain falls on the good people and the bad people. Rain falls on everyone. Whether you're a farmer and want it, or you're a beach bum and hate it. You know? It falls on everyone. It is. We as Christians must look to Scripture to find our hope. To find our hope. And people think we're crazy. Because we are. Because you can't tell me that you've really understood heaven, or you really understood where we're going, or what's going to happen. You have faith that this Scripture is true. You have faith that what who you're praying to, who you're speaking to, is listening. You know? People think we're crazy when we pray over my daughter who's got flu. They're like, what are you doing? You know? It's called faith. Have faith. So, I hope tonight, if you get a chance to watch the game, that you'll root for Nate Solder. He's number 77. He's going to be on Brady's left side. It's about that tall and about that wide. You know? Big boy. He's a really cool guy. He loves Jesus. And I think that's cool. And if you can think about it, you can pray for his son. You know, that's going through stuff. We can pray for people that are here that are going through stuff. And uh, all things work together for good. Do not, do not misinterpret that scripture where you think all things are good or all things will be good or all things good will happen to me. No, all things work together for good. Whether it's cancer or vacation. Whether it's money in or no money at all. All things work together and that's faith. This morning we're going to do uh, communion together. Um, communion here is an open communion. What that means is you don't have to be a member of our church. Good thing, because nobody is. Um, <laughs> and uh, you have to be a member of God's family. And a member of God's family is that you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. You've come to grips with the fact that you can't do it on your own. That you need the Lord's help. And that you've put your faith and your hope in Him. And that's made you God's child. So, how it works is out back. <coughs> Excuse me. There are three tables. And we like to serve one another communion. Alright? So I, I encourage you to get up there, pour a glass, hand it to someone that you don't know, whatever. Right? And what I'd love for you to be able to do is when you pour the glass, you hand it to someone and say, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And if you get a piece of bread up there, you break it. And you say to someone, this is Christ's body broken for you. Yes, I'm having you serve communion to one another. You're the body of Christ. I just happen to have the job called pastor. I get you guys together. We talk about it. Communion in Scripture, communion in Scripture is whenever you take this cup, as often as you take this cup, as often as you take this bread, give thanks. The thanks that Christ gave around the communion table was the same thanks that He had been giving at every single meal. It wasn't a new one. It was the same one he's given at every single meal. And it was the same Thanksgiving that it made them recognize him after his death. 
He died and rose again. They were all still bummed out. And this guy shows up. And he gave thanks for the meal. And it was when they gave thanks for the meal, he gave it the same way Jesus had always given thanks. And his disciples were like, Oh, did you hear that? No one does that thanks. Like, but Jesus. Are you Jesus? He's like, uh, Yeah, I'm Jesus. Don't touch me. I haven't gotten my father yet, but I'm, I'm Jesus. And they're like, What? It was when you were praying that we knew who you were because you said thanks the same way you always said thanks. And it's the same way you said thanks the night that Judas betrayed him. Cup. Took a breath. So I'm going to pray, and then Craig, if you play some like quiet music. Um, oh yes, thank you. The outer ones, the two outer tables, are grape juice. The middle one is wine. Okay. Outside grape juice, middle one wine. Okay. And I would like for you guys to serve one another. That would be awesome. So I'm going to pray. Music's going to play, and then you guys can head on back. Lord. I thank you that you can use goofballs like me who love football. What a silly game. Lord, it, it really, in the grand scheme of things, does not mean anything. Tomorrow will still come. We will still go to school. We'll still go to work. We'll still, we'll all, we'll be normal. But we thankful, we're thankful, God, for living in a place like America where we're free to enjoy recreation like football. Help us to keep it recreation and not something that becomes bigger to us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Romans 8, 28. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for what a, what a foundation of a promise it is that when we become your children, you as our Father work everything out for our good, whether it is feast or it is famine, or it's health or it's sickness, or it's life or it's death. You promise that you will work all things together for our good. I know, Lord, as a pastor, I doubt that many times. When things are just not going well, I'm like, where are you? How are you a part of this? How is this for my good? But, Lord, we even learned today that even Mother Teresa doubted. We are prone to doubt. We are prone to worry. We are prone to wander. It's our flesh, Lord. You know it so well. That's why you sent Jesus to come to live a righteous life die and death and to rise again. Thank you so much for communion that we can share together. Lord, we know that according to your scripture, it is a beautiful symbol. It's symbolic of what you've done. Help us to treat it with respect. But Lord, help us not to worship it either. Help us to worship you. Help us to worship the gift giver and not the gift. Thank you for this free place where we can take communion. In your precious name we pray. Amen.